lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Wednesday. Welcome to all of you. Live and on demand, this is the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. That's over there is Aaron McIntyre. And then there is you. Let us know who you are and what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can email the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also look for Steve Dace on Gab, MeWe, Parlor, follow us there. That's back up and active. Uh, Want to give a hat tip. One of our listeners said, hey, uh, try logging out and logging back in to renew your security credentials on your app, on your iPhone, and it'll work. Lo and behold, I did that this morning, and my Parlor app is zipping. I mean, it's it's kicking butt right now. So good to have Parlor back. Thank you uh, to the uh, the listener that gave us that tip. I don't know if the, any of the rest of you were wondering, hey, when's my Parlor app going to come back online? If you got an iPhone, that could be the reason why. So give that a shot. If you're looking for clips of this show that you can sample and then share with others, go to YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. You can also uh, go to Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's Rumble.com. Slash Steve Day Show. Typical Wednesday festivities coming your way. I've got a little, I've got a little bounce in my step today. We've got temperatures not just above zero, but we have reached double digits again in Des Moines. When was the last time we had a double digit temperature here? It's it's, it's, it's at least it, a year ago, yeah. I'd say. <laughs> it feels like it, man. But how warm does does twelve degrees feel? When it's been as as cold as minus fourteen air temperature, how warm does that feel? I know. See this? Everything's yeah. relative. Remember, it was like ten degrees warmer yet than this. But when we got off the plane back from Dallas, you you thought you had gone to the planet Hoth. But no, yes. it's looking rosy for you. And and I have been alerted that my pre spring ritual has returned. Shamrock shakes are back. And I'm in a good mood. I'm in a, I am in a good place right now. I love Shamrock shakes. That is I, I'm just going to tell you right now folks. That is some of the best high fructose corn syrup you are going to ingest at any point in any given year is one of those. <laughs> All right, come here. You are so programmed. I have the palate of an 11-year-old uh, boy. That's true. Yes. I, I never left the sixth grade, if we're just being brutally honest. I peaked. <laughs> I just keep coming oh. back. It All was right. so random this morning. I'm a sixth grader that can procreate. That's essentially what I am, a sixth grader that can procreate. He, he is deeply regimented and devoted to to his health. It's, it, it's, it's not a shtick with, like, and on any level today just randomly walks in hey you guys know where the nearest mcdonald's is <laughs> there's there's some things that just make all of this worthwhile though right you know i i know our social team right now is taking like uh quotes i give on the show sometimes and turning them into memes uh on facebook and instagram that should be one right there i'm just a sixth grader that can procreate that's essentially what i am <laughs> Oh, all right. Coming up on the show today, 
Um, it is, what, Wednesday. So buy, sell, or hold uh, begins at the bottom of the hour. Uh, the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, has returned. He'll be joining us at the end of the show. But before we get to all of that, here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Biden's first presidential town hall. Everybody knows I like kids better than people. Yes, President Dementia went on CNN last night to talk about a variety of issues, including his audacious plans to reopen schools. You, um, your administration had set a goal to open the majority of schools in your first hundred days. You're now saying that means those schools may only be open for at least one day a week. No, that's not true. That's what was reported. Uh-huh. That's not true. It was a mistake in the communication. He also casually chalked up the genocide of the Uyghurs in China to cultural differences on the part of the Chinese Communist Party. The central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. I point out to him, no American president can be sustained as a president if he doesn't reflect the values of the United States. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of of, uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country and they, their leaders are expected to follow. He also said this about the COVID vaccine. It's one thing to have the vaccine, which we didn't have when we came into office, but a vaccinator. How do you get the vaccine into someone's arm? Kamala Harris spokesperson Simone Sanders got on the defensive this morning regarding whether teacher vaccinations are a prerequisite for schools reopening. I'll try this one last is... time. I'll try one last time. Does, okay, the president, does the president feel that that teachers have to be vaccinated in order for schools to, to open safely, yes or no? The president believes that teachers should be prioritized for vaccination. Speaking of the COVID vaccine, in the wake of Facebook's announcement last week that they are enhancing their policies regarding what people can say about the COVID vaccine, Project Veritas published leaked footage of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg violating his own company's guidelines. The real kicker is right here in the policy where Facebook says it would remove any content that, quote, claims the COVID-19 vaccine changes people's DNA. Um, we just don't know the long-term side effects of, of basically modifying people's um, DNA and RNA. So when Zuckerberg said, quote, basically, the vaccine is modifying people's DNA, it seems pretty clear modifying is synonymous with changing. Again, Zuckerberg would be banned from Facebook for saying this. It's unclear from when that video was. Back to the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki answered some Twitter questions. What is President Biden doing for my small business? First and foremost, he nominated a woman to lead the Small Business Administration. At an actual press conference yesterday, Saki said Middle East peace deals are so 2020. I can assure you that the president, this president does not have, is not looking to the last presidency as the model for his foreign policy moving forward. Checking in on former President Trump, he released a statement last night slamming Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, saying in part, quote, Mitch is a dour, sullen and unsmiling political hack. And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again. In the statement, Trump also expressed interest in backing primary opponents against sitting Republicans where he deems fit. 
Moving on, you may remember that agitator at the January 6th Capitol uprising named John Sullivan. He's a radical Antifa Black Lives Matter agitator who showed up at the Capitol ostensibly to cause mayhem. Turns out CNN and NBC paid him $35,000 apiece for footage he shot from inside the Capitol. Sullivan was also the one who captured the death of Ashley Babbitt on video. This report comes from independent journalist Kyle Becker, who also produced receipts of Sullivan's exchanges with the aforementioned networks. Checking in on New York City. We need a recovery that brings back the life and the heart and the energy of this city and that everyone gets to be a part of. And we're going to do that. We're going to really bring back the heart and soul of New York City. We need our arts and culture back. For those of you listening, that's New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio embracing street dancers as a way to revive the city in the wake of COVID-19. In California, security footage captured an L.A. County health inspector shutting down a brewery over COVID violations and then moments later bursting into a dance routine. Florida, on the other hand, is going on the offensive, pitting their record on coronavirus against other states. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reiterated why he pushed for schools reopening with this graphic showing the number of pediatric cases of the virus per 100,000 kids juxtaposed with other states' rates and how many students are actually taking in-person instruction. For those of you listening, this shows Florida offering 99.8% of their students in-person learning with its pediatric case rate up against states like Ohio, Illinois, and California with higher pediatric rates and just a fraction of the number of students being offered in-person learning. And finally, a restaurant in Florida has gone viral for the sign they hung on their front door. The sign in front of Becky Jack's Food Shack in Spring Hill reads, Face diapers not required. Everyone welcome. And that's what happened while we were away. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Rough Grange. You know, your pets love the walks. They love the cuddles. Uh, they love the petting. They love going to the groomer. Um, and they even love being fed. But what they really need is nutrition because chances are that food that you have bought them at the store just like a lot of the food we buy for ourselves at the stores these days it's dead as a doornail once it leaves the factory stripped of all the live enzymes organisms that it needs your pet that is uh, for the same reason that a lot of our food is stripped bare of those things as well longer shelf life mass distribution consumption that's why we spend so much money billions and billions every year on supplements I'm a big supplement guy Uh, your pet could use one as well and that's where Rough Greens comes in It's not a new pet food, but a pet food supplement that'll make the food your dog loves taste even better. But it'll put back in there all the digestive enzymes, the pre probiotics, vitamins, minerals, nutrients that your pet's probably missing from its food right now goes right back in with rough grains. If you want to give it a shot, see if you don't see a difference in your dog in 14 days or less. Try the jumpstart bag for just $14.95 when you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F. That's how they spell it for rough greens. Com slash blaze later today for the overtime julie kelly at american greatness will be joining us she has done some phenomenal work in the last week or so on the police officer that we were told was beaten to death at the january 6th riot at the capitol and it turns out basically other than the fact he tragically perished nothing else in that story that we were sold has turned out to be true. And she has done a masterful job uncovering this.
She'll be joining us later today in the overtime exclusively for our Blaze TV subscribers. And if you're already a Blaze TV subscriber, we stick around after today's show. We record it and then upload it so you can watch it on demand at your convenience later today at blazetv.com slash my last name slash days. That's also where you can go if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber, if you want to watch that today and also all of the other exclusive content that we do daily here at Blaze TV. blazetv.com slash days. Again, that's blazetv.com slash dace. Let's get to what's in Aaron's montage because it is a treasure trove of topics to discuss here today. What I told you, just a quick reset. What I told you a couple of days ago, that this was not a defensible position for this administration. You're watching it. You're watching my analysis is playing out now where it's not just... Simone Sanders, a spokeswoman for the White House, getting cornered by CNN. With, without Orange Man Bad, the straw man, even CNN has to commit, what, what is it Rush used to call these? Uh, acts of accidental journalism, right? Isn't that sure. what he used to call them yeah. back in the day? Even CNN has to do acts of accidental journalism now without straw, the, the Orange Man Bad straw man to kick around. But that's not even an isolated case. Shortly before we, we came on the air today, uh, the vice president acting president of the United States, Kamala Harris, uh, was on the Today Show with Savannah Guthrie. She was getting grilled as well, uh, even being asked, hey, where's the science justifying the position you guys have here? This is not a defensible position politically. It's, in, it's untenable. It's indefensible. That's why they're on the defensive within their own media outlets. When the president um, or um, the uh, uh, the proxy president said last night that it was it was reported wrongly with their reopening of schools. The goal for their reopening of schools were um, it wasn't reported wrongly, sir. Uh, your own White House spokeswoman. Those that's what she said. That's not a erroneous report. That is what she said. And she's a woman. So that's really important. We can trust he, is her he, more. Is he mansplaining her by any means? Apparently. Yes. Um, also, um, what he said last night about, hey, you know what? They have different cultural norms yeah, in a place like China about whether or not genocide's a bad thing, right? Okay, they have different cultural norms there. You know what that sounds an awful lot alike? When the former president used to say, well, you know, you had to be a strong leader to subdue those people in North Korea. Remember he said that once about Kim Jong-un? <laughs> That's true. This is almost exactly what he just said about Xi and and the uh, Chinese Communist Party. And it, it's just, it's, it's, by the way, that's their exact propaganda narrative for what they're doing over there to the Muslims there. That, that is their explanation. That's a talking point ripped right out of their, well, talking points, their agate prop. But to defend, to be fair, we won't defend um, Dementia Joe, but to be fair to Dementia Joe, um, he's a staunch supporter of Planned Parenthood, which is now going on its second generation of committing genocide against black children. So he's already supportive of making genocide a cultural norm. This is not that's not anything new to him, sadly. Um, Can I, can I just interject this? This just broke in the last few minutes. Sure, I, don't go know, ahead. I don't know if I, I don't know if you saw this. Rush Limbaugh has uh, has passed away. Oh, I did not hear that. No, yeah. but I I will tell you I 
I heard yesterday that things were not good. Yeah. Yeah. I heard this yesterday afternoon. And, uh, that is, uh, that's obviously some sad news. Uh, never met him. I do know his brother, David, well, uh, who's all class. So obviously prayers to him and uh, the family, but, um, I mean, the reality is none of us here in, at the Blaze, Fox, um, Daily Caller, Daily Wire, pick, uh, pick any, um, any conservative media outlet, alternative media outlet that you've enjoyed, you prefer, and none of us here have those jobs without rush um it's one of the very few people in the history of broadcasting or any industry for that matter who can say that not only were they at any point considered the most successful in their field but that they blazed a trail for an entire industry. And I remember my first day on WHO radio, June 12th, 2006. I had just switched over from sports talk radio. And it was just surreal to me sitting in that studio, already thinking about you know, Ronald Reagan used to be on this radio station. And the legacy that you inherit with a radio station like WHO and all the awards and everything that it's been, um, it's been recognized for for generations. But when you walk in and to the studio and the overhead speakers are, are playing what's going on over the air at that time live, and... you realize that you're going to follow up Rush Limbaugh on this station, <laughs> that he's doing the show that, that you're coming in after. Um, my wife, when, when, when we met, started getting serious, uh, wanted to get to know more about what made me tick. She grew up in a Michigan football family, so she knew about all of that. Wasn't into politics at all. I mean, I was such a huge Rush Limbaugh fan. She went out and bought both of those books. Um, the Way Things Ought to Be. And See, I Told You So. And she read those books, figuring get, reading both of those books was a way to get to know me better. So... Um, a, a true, a true trailblazer that, um, icon that none of us would be here. None of us would have our jobs without, you want to say anything? Well, you know, his, um, the flag he planted was really ultimately, he, he had the talent, um, there was a medium there that 
if used properly, could ultimately be changed. I mean, he he saw it. It wasn't just some sort of Hail Mary pass. But most importantly, he he just he just did it. And he, he he started out in the places that he had the opportunity to, and he maxed them out. And look where it led. Now, what does that sound like? It sounds like what we talk to you about quite frequently and what is as big a topic as anything. When you email in to Steve, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? You, right now, where you are... The, the school board, whether you have kids or not, things like that, run for it, be involved, pay attention, learn the local issues, and then plant your flag, just like he did. It, it, it's not any different. The, the whole thing early on in the day, I don't, I don't know if it was still a thing, that, but the ditto heads, mm-hmm. but that's like just... It, it was a it was a quick way of getting at something and, and pointing out affection and all that, but it's also just a way of like... It, it, Carry that forward. Ditto on just doing the best you can with the skills you have, the talents you have on any given day. You don't need a radio show to do that. To the degree that Rush uh, was a positive influence on the American political landscape, ditto that. Just with joy, be happy, thank God for this day that you have, and plow ahead and get things done. Yeah, I think for for me, I mean, I I remember uh, I remember you know doing errands with my mom and stuff, and hearing the the morning update when I was really 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 little, and uh, and even then I, I kind of had some concept of the world around me. I didn't understand what Rush was talking about. I remember as, my first memory of of Rush was asking my mom, "Is is he really a Russian?" Uh, just because that was a weird name <laughs> to me. But uh, but Rush, uh, as I grew up and, and got a little bit older, he was really the one one or uh, one of, of two or three uh, people who really inspired me to to uh, pursue uh, radio and and broadcasting. And um, and it was because of the the power, the small p power, not the type of necessarily it can be, but not the type of capital P power that progressives pursue, but the power that uh, entertainment can be the power that uh, that broadcast media can have in in shaping uh, hearts and minds and uh, and the power especially of of laughter and and humor uh, those were those were profound and uh, yeah it's I would say uh, Limbaugh and probably my brother Tristan weirdly are the two two people who have uh, have the biggest uh, impact on uh, on the weird sense of humor that I have as well uh, going to be missed. Think, um, um, for me, it, it just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be hesitant. It just, it's kind of a surreal experience just because I've gotten to know his brother well the last few years. Um, and I just, I know how much he's um, he's hurting and I'm just hearing this in the last five minutes and there were points in my career where I mean he and I would disagree I mean I I remember during that 2008 Iowa caucus cycle it was also surreal to me I mean I would come on the air and 
Uh, he had a totally different view of that primary race from afar that I had locally here in Iowa. And I used to think to myself, what in the world must Iowans be thinking? Who's this punk kid coming on after Rush daring to have a different take and expressing it so strongly? But um, one of the reasons why I felt free to do that is because of, frankly, his influence. I mean, his it, watching and listening for years, for years. I mean, I would, I would go out of my way to not miss a show if I could make it happen every day. Um, what we try to do on our show with humor and we used to do in another life some really, really vicious type of parodies that were viciously funny and effective. We just don't have time to do that now when you're putting together a TV show and it's just a three-person staff and all the production has to go into that. Uh, we just don't have the ability to do things like that anymore. But those were all things we did because we saw him do it. We saw, you know, where do you think I, I came up with the idea that if it's funny, you can be merciless? On our side, who taught us that? Rush did. Rush taught us that if it's funny... You can say things. If it's funny, if you entertain people, you can get away with opinions and takedowns that in a more uh, academic, formal setting may be considered offensive or dismissed out of hand. And when we started, when I left WHO and I had a group of businessmen come to me like a group of businessmen came to him in Sacramento, California one day and said, hey, we think you can do bigger than this. We'll take you out to New York and let's see what happens. That, that's kind of what happened to me as a group of businessmen came to me and said, hey, we, we want to see if you can have more influence on a broader level like what you've had in Iowa. And we're, we're going to provide the rocket fuel to try to help you get there. Um, when when I had to do all the shoe leather kind of myself before we had a network like a Salem behind us and now a blaze behind us. And so I'd, I'd be at NRB national religious broadcasters or, um, uh, you know, other venues. And I'd be the one out there trying to meet as many people as I could sell the program to as many people as I could. And people would say, well, is what is what kind of show is it? Is this a is this a Christian show or is it a conservative show? And I used to think back to what Rush used to say when I you know when I was younger and I could listen every day. The first goal is to do a good radio show. I, I remember that reading that in the way things ought in, in his book, the way things ought to be. The first goal is to put on a good radio show. If the show isn't good then it doesn't really matter how good our opinions are, how right our opinions are. The show has to be good. And I would, I, I learned from that. You know, I would say to these program directors, these radio station owners, is it a good show? And if they said yes, then I said, then what's it matter? Why try to label it? Is it a good show? And I, you guys have heard me say this both publicly and privately over the years. 
and have said it from the very beginning when we first broke out on our own to see where else we could take this show. That I wanted to see if our show could do for a biblical worldview what, what Rush did for, for conservatism, where we could show that we could bring this back into the mainstream again, that it wouldn't have to be modified or anything in any way, that it's completely relevant already as is. It's just, it, it's still, it's still as relevant now as it always has been. And that, frankly, one of the goals I always had is if we made it, then maybe program directors around the country in future years would say about our show what they said about Rush, which is how people like me got jobs. Hey, we got to get a guy that can locally do what Rush does on a local level. That's where local conservative talk radio exploded because program directors said that. And, you know, could we be a part of a, a next stage of, of that evolution in, in some respects? So, um, I don't even know that Icon does it justice because you're just, you're talking about a figure that is transcendent um, in our industry, a, a George Washington level figure like who's the greatest president of all time it's george washington guys okay because if he sucks at this we don't have a second greatest president of all time right sure if he he he's got to stick the landing old george does he's got to nail this thing because he's he's setting the table for everybody to come right and that's what rush did for us uh, as an industry and a movement um, we'll come back after the break and, and there's still some things I don't I, I think we wouldn't be honoring Rush if we let all of this meat on the bone go unaddressed so we will still do so when we return <sighs> let's um, let's attempt try to get back to some form of broadcast normalcy here um hey don't get a crash course in home title theft here in 2021 pray this never happens to you because it can ruin you financially here's how this crime works the legal titles to our homes are kept online these days where they can be hacked cyber thieves know this so they go online forge your signature to your home's title on what's called a quit claim deed so they can state that you sold your home to them then they take out loans against your home till all of that equity is gone and you often won't know about it till collection calls, letters, or worse start pouring in. So far though, you're not protected either by homeowners insurance or your mortgage provider, but thankfully you can be protected by home title lock. And even in the unlikely event that you still fall prey to this crime while you're a member of home title lock, they've pledged they're going to spend up to a quarter of a million dollars in legal fees right out of their own pocket to restore your, your home's rightful title to you. So go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address to see if you're already a victim. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Sorry, I'm having a hard time concentrating here. Then use the code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO for 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. All right. Um, there, there are, uh, there's some things in Aaron's montage that we do have to address that have to be talked about. And 
one in particular or two in particular that I think we need to discuss and then we'll do buy seller hold at the top of next hour is that okay guys all right um number one there's a lot of conversation about Ron DeSantis right now and I and it's it's for two reasons number one he is I mean he's he, he might as well change his name to Donald Trump Gina Carano between now and the 2022 election he is the number one target they have to cancel him they have to he's got to get aborted in the crib they they can't let him pick up speed and they recognize that he is a more than viable substitute for a Donald Trump should he decide not to run again and remember Donald Trump's 75 years old right now 75. So they're coming after him. What those of us who are going to be in the, which is not just me because I live in Iowa and play some form of a role in this process, I guess. It's, it's not as big of a role probably as the media over the years has made it out to be. I'm just happy to let them promote that because... It's, it's free publicity, but it's also a far bigger role than my detractors would prefer. Is that fair? Is it somewhere kind of in yeah, between? Yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I, I play more of a role than my detractors prefer, but not, you know, I don't sit here like Commodus. It, you know, I don't decide winners, okay? Um, I might have a role in deciding who the winner is, but I'm not the final determination. But you have a, a voice in that process, too. You know, we just went through a process in 2016 where that went well into May. States that previously, I mean, when was the last time you can remember your home state of Wisconsin was as hotly contested in a primary as it was between uh, us on the cruise team and Trump in that right. race, right? So we have seen how long these processes can go if they're allowed, if we don't have uh, the, the, the powers that be with their thumb on the scale, trying to make determinations right away. So you're in the vetting process, all of you in the audience too. What you need to be looking for, ultimately, unless unless you live in Florida, you don't have any role to play in whether Ron DeSantis survives his reelect bid. Because there's no point discussing him as a presidential candidate, really, unless he survives his reelect bid. Because if he doesn't get reelected, he's not one. Now, if he gets reelected, he could be a formidable one. But unless you live in Florida, you're not going to have any role in whether he gets reelected or not. And while we have a lot of people that live in Florida that are into the show, most of our show doesn't live in Florida. None of us do. We'd all like to, but we don't. <laughs> okay. So you have to set that whole thing aside. That, that's largely going to play itself out. The intramural political aspect of, of his gubernatorial reelect will play out largely on a stage beyond our, our grasp. We're, we're just observers and we'll see what the people of Florida decide in November of 2022. But should he survive that? If you're wondering, because, because I would make the case he can't survive that unless what I'm about to say next turns out to be true. If you're wondering 
when the rest of the country outside of Florida, if he wins, may have a say in, in Ron DeSantis's political future. Is he up to the task of being your standard bearer? There is no way I believe he will survive a reelect unless he is. Because he's in such a tightly contested state and all of the energy that's going to be focused on him. He can't just be right on the issues. He's got to be good at this. We haven't talked about that a lot recently. That was the whole point of my book, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again. This is a vocation. You know, we don't just bring, and and who knows, maybe we get better candidates if we did, okay? But we don't just bring people in, hand them a worldview assessment test, and whoever got the best score gets the office. Maybe that would be a better way to choose our elected representatives than what we do, but we don't do it that way. So it's, we're not electing ideologies, we're electing people. There's a vocational aspect to politics. Can you do the job? Go back to the conversation we just had about Rush. Cape Girardeau, Missouri, college dropout. As was I, by the way. Well, college throwout. I'd have just kept going and hanging out and playing IM basketball, <laughs> eating all those lucky charms. Um, going to all those parties. But after a while, when you don't go to any classes, they throw you out of there. So he dropped out. I, I got thrown out. Okay. But um, there's, that, there's all kinds of people that could have been more qualified to explain our belief system ideologically than a guy who was educated at the you know school of common sense like Rush Limbaugh. Or me, for that matter. But can you do the job of holding court over a show for three hours by yourself? Can you do that? Can you carry on a conversation with yourself that makes me feel like I'm a part of it for three hours every day, five days a week, month after month, year after year? Can you do that? Same thing goes with our candidates. It's not just that they're right on the issues. That's important. But can they do the job? Do they get the nuts and bolts of this? Can they perform the tasks necessary? People, people have asked me over the years many times, have I ever considered going into ministry? Yes. And then I realized the answer was no for two reasons. Number, number one, I wasn't being called there. I'm not pious enough. I'm not holy enough. Um, I'm just not a good enough example for that kind of a role. We need some self-awareness. I think we all agree America needs some more people with some self-awareness. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, though, is is the other parts of that job. You know, you just see what your pat. Most of us just see, unless we're going through a tragedy and he's at our home at a on a, at two a.m. on a Tuesday. Most of us just see the what what every preacher would tell you is the most fun part of his gig. Taking control of a pulpit and bringing the word. Man, I could do that for the rest of my life. I'd love to do that. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to take those phone calls from y'all at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. I don't. I don't. I'm not empathetic enough. I'm not soft enough. I just, I just don't. So that's the job. 
the job that that's the part of the job that gets you to that Sunday morning when you when you take hold. That's what gives you the respect of a congregation. That you take command of that pulpit is they've is you've suffered with them. You've served with them. You've done life with them, or at least that's the way it's supposed to work, right? Okay. Um, you're not an ideologue or an orator. You're their shepherd. That's what pastor means. Same thing goes for a politician. Can you do this? Can you even get to the point where you can govern on your beliefs if they're right? Can you get there? Do you know what you're up against? I'll say this about this guy. And again, I don't know him. I met him once for 10, 15 minutes at a CPAC in a hallway introduced by Daniel Horowitz. That's all I know. That's, so, so this isn't personal. Okay. I know some people that work down there, but I have like no personal stake in this. All of my, all, 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 all of my main relationships would be one of, with one of the guys that would primarily challenge him for that nomination in a few years. So I'm only observing this as objectively. I'm not, I have no rooting interest here. This guy's good at this. The package of information that you highlighted in your montage, Aaron, that he put out there, that he's doing it preemptively. He understands my enemies are not permitted one iota of their narrative to be affirmed in my presence. It will not happen. All of their narratives will, must be dismantled. His political instincts are good. And I wonder, you know, we got, we're going to see our beloved NCAA tournament return here in just about three weeks, right? Right. And all of us root for, it's Aaron for Iowa, me, Michigan, you, Wisconsin. We all root for teams and what everybody considers to be the best conference this year in the Big Ten. A lot of us would also agree, though, if you just lined up the players, Gonzaga probably has the best team, right? Yeah. Okay. But they've also been playing Pepperdine. Yep. You know what I'm saying? They've been playing Pepperdine, San Francisco for the last two months. I mean, we're playing each other. You know, the 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 analytics right now have three of the top seven teams in the in the country out of our conference. These teams are just mollywhopping each other every night. Who's probably more tested going in to a one and done? Every team you're going to play from this time forward is really good scenario. The second or third best team in the Big Ten, or even the fourth best team in the Big Ten, or Gonzaga. I would argue it's the it's the third or well, fourth best team in the Big Ten. I'm counting on what you're saying to be true regarding my <laughs> so you're team. Be one of the, both of you guys are probably going to be the yeah. third or fourth best team, but I hear you. Yeah. Okay? I mean, that there's a difference that even a Ted Cruz, now, now he's a national figure now, so he faces this every day, but when he was first coming up from Texas... It ain't the same as what a DeSantis is facing right now in Florida. We all love Christy No, right? This is nothing. What she faces there in, um, in, the, in the Dakotas is nothing compared. Ron DeSantis is dealing with a, just a, a scaled-down version of what it's like to preside over the country every day in Florida. Diverse populations, different regions have completely different politics. Urban areas where you're going to get 20% of the vote. Rural areas where you're going to get 70% of the vote. Florida is a microcosm of the demographics of the nation. 
And what I see is a guy that is prepared. He's prepared on day one. If you say to if you say this is our this is the guy, this is the we we here we put him upon a noble steed. Here's the champion. Send him into battle. You don't have to project how he's going to do. Like when we look at like NBA draft projections and statistics and stuff, we all agree Gonzaga has the best team, and and, and we all agree on that. But. You know, they played a great non-conference schedule, but that was three months ago, man, and that's an eternity in college sports, right? We don't have to wonder how good Baylor is because the Big 12 is probably the second biggest league, and they're taking names there. We know that, right? Yep. They're they're prepared. They're ready. Day one, we know. We, we kind of think because of Gonzaga's talent that they'll be able to turn it on if they need to, but we know Baylor's ready, right? You know they are. You know Michigan's ready. You know they are. You've seen it. You see them go out there every night against the best of the best every night. So we know. Likewise, you know Ron DeSantis is ready. You know it. And let's face it, the last few times when we've had our upstart candidates, the Mike Huckabees, the Rick Santorums, or the Ted Cruz's. Skywalker. Skywalker. But I mean the guys that we did successfully elevate on. Once we got them through those early states... And then they got into top-tier status. We hoped they were ready. We projected that they were ready, right? This guy, if he, if he makes it, you're going to know the day after this guy's ready for the job. Because he's already been through, in the state of Florida, he's already been through everything he's going to be through as a presidential candidate, as the president himself. Just... On a grander scale. You guys have any thoughts on that? Well, in in fairness to everybody else, I, I don't think that there's anything particularly special about DeSantis. I mean, I think he came with a natural skill set, but he served in Congress. Christy Nome served in Congress. Ted mm-hmm. Cruz came to Congress, uh, I think, uh, planning to be the guy that successfully argued in front of Supreme courts. And you've seen his learning curve in real time. I think all these people have learned all they they got to a moment where there's like, hell no. Like I, I, I came to Congress idealistic thinking that the great debate was going to happen. Now it's a knife fight. His greatest skill, but Christy Noem, again, she just lives, Steve's, the main difference is living in a different state. Mm -hmm. But what I love about these people is they all seemed to have come along and just realized the truth of the matter. Two men enter, one man leave, and Ron DeSantis tells you all the time again, and with a smile on his face, I ain't going down like that. Amen, brother. This would probably be a good time maybe to direct this at, at Todd. And I think we've talked about this in, in passing because I can totally see just crazy voices in this in the head two, three years from now. <laughs> can you believe we thought Ron DeSantis was going to be presidential <laughs> material? I know how I this know. compares to Scott Walker. I yep. don't think they're the same person. I, 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 I don't think there's a possibility of being the same person. He could let anybody down. He's a politician, a human being. But I, I think that's a conversation worth having. I agree that it can't be because I don't think if that if he were another Walker, he would survive as reelect next year. Right. No way. We'll come back. Buy, sell, or hold us next.
right back with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. And all of you, let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. You can also uh, find us on Facebook, like us there, on Gab. Parlor is now back. Follow us there. Uh, YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. If you're looking for clips of the program and follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Where else? MeWe. Uh, we're, we're in so many places now, I'm having a hard time keeping track of all of them. Also, if you're a podcast listener, thank you very much. Uh, for joining us via the podcast. You are appreciated like everybody else is here, but uh, we ask that you would show your appreciation for us by, if you haven't done this already, hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review in whichever podcast platform you prefer. doesn't matter. Even if there's other podcast platforms you don't use, if you want to go on those and and leave us five-star reviews, we'll take those too. I wonder if that works. If you like, we listen on Podbay. I just cut and paste my five-star review. Head over to iTunes, Stitcher, paste it in there. I wonder if that if that works. But let's find out together. Thanks to all of you that have given us five-star reviews. We appreciate each and every one of those. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, the weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, Daniel Horowitz, returns. But first, let me tell you about Built Bar. You know, I was concerned. I, I still don't believe that new flavor Coconut brownie chunk is 150 calories. I, I just, I don't believe it. I, I gave one to you. I know you don't believe it. Nope. You ever ate anything in your life that good that was 150 calories? That wasn't like, listen, if you grab like a one square of a Hershey bar or a couple, that's really good, right? Yes. That might be 150 calories. Correct. I mean the whole bar. You ever ate anything that good? No. That size, that was 150 calories? No. So you guys know I love cookie dough flavored things. I just love cookie dough. Um... And I, I waited and waited and waited to get my built bar, my cookie dough built bars. And then you start worrying about, oh man, is this going to be the, you know, the Star, the Star Trek generations of, of, of treats or protein bars. If you know what I mean by Star Trek generations, man, I just, Kirk and Picard in the same film. I mean, counting down the days, you can't possibly screw this up. They did. Um, so you, you wait weeks and weeks for this to finally arrive. And then when it does, you're like, might this be the first time Bilt Bar lets me down? Oh, you have little faith. No. Those cookie dough Bilt Bars are insanely good. All right. All of the flavors are good. All covered in real chocolate. Three to five grams of carbs in every one. Three to five grams of sugar in every one. Up to 20 grams of protein in each and every one. Uh, did I mention 150 calories? You want to give these a shot. Best protein bar you've ever had. Don't make a choice anymore between taste and health. BuiltBar.com. B-U-I-L-T. For BuiltBar.com and use my last name, Dace, as the promo code, get 20% off either your first or if you've tried it before but want to come back again, next order at BuiltBar.com slash Dace. Quickly before buy, seller, hold, I mentioned there were two things I wanted to get to from your montage. The other one, after careful consideration, I have decided I, I shouldn't spend a lot of time talking about because yesterday, when I saw pop up on my Twitter feed, that statement that Donald Trump put out about ditch, 
You didn't even need a shamrock shake to feel good, did you? Quote Ned Beatty in the movie Rudy, which Aaron still has not seen. True. That's just tragic. This is the most beautiful sight these eyes have ever seen. Okay, I just... And I'm... I'm I'm not ashamed to admit, and maybe at my age, you just take what you can get, but I found it a tad arousing and lost control uh, of, of where I was at there for a moment. And I'm just not going to, I just, I just want to say to whoever wrote that press release for Donald Trump and for Trump for signing on. Trucker Glock, who wants it? <laughs> and I like the way you handle your rig. I, I I do. That that was that's what I asked for. In fact, it was it was more it was more than I asked for. And I liked it. I really really liked it. Do you have any thoughts, gentlemen? You do like a high body count. I I do. I mean I. I mean drop. I mean. Was it Matthew Henry who said, my only regret is I have but one life? Or Matthew Hale. My only regret is I have but one life. Nathan you, Hale. Or Nathan or, Hale. I was going to get it. Yeah. Third time's not the term. See, I am told you. Right now, not all the blood's going to the brain right now. That's how much I liked that press release. It was Nathan Hale who said, I only regret that I have but one life to give my country, right? I think so. My only regret is I had but one Twitter account to retweet. My, my, my thoughts about that I, I, and, and one parlor account and one Facebook and one me, we, I, I, yes, we need that. And it's four years too late, but it's better late than never. Uh, a friend of mine who works in conservative media texted me last night. You still really believe Trump could play any kind of a healthy role in this party? I said, first of all, this party is unhealthy and in need of an exorcism. So I'm not even contemplating that question, but I am contemplating how much I really loved that press release. And I, I just hope it it's not a, a one-off, especially because if you're going to lay down a marker, you're going to lay down a marker like, yeah, I'm getting involved in these primaries. Better see it through now, right? Don't lay the marker down and then not see it through. But if he does, he could get rid of a lot of people that we spent several cycles through the Tea Party years trying to get rid of to no avail. So I'm all in. I'm all in. I told you earlier this week that one of the most annoying aspects of the Trump era was the fixation on his petty disputes and grievances and those who had petty disputes and grievances with him. Until now. This is a revenge tour. In fact, I will I will add to the spite. More spite. Take all that fuel that Texas uh, stupidly thought it didn't need anymore, because wind turbines, hand it all to Trump. All I, all I, I just have, I, I got one favor. I just want to light the match. And then, Todd, what's your favorite gif? Uh, Inferno Elmo. Yes. Let 
it burn. Let it burn. All right, let's get to it. Buy, sell, or hold. Aaron will bring forth a series of statements, predictions, lists, who knows, what have you, on various topics from you in the audience that, Todd, you and I have not yet seen. We will decide on the spot. Do we buy that? Do we sell it? Have a reason why? If we have no idea what in the Sam Hill to think about it, we can put a hold on it, given the uncertain and unprecedented times in which we live. Aaron. All righty. We will start with Dave with three girls who says the reason the GOP legislatures have not reclaimed their plenary power and abolished voting machines, mail in ballots and drop boxes is because Trump may run again, in which case they'll let the election be stolen again. Wow. Hmm. That is really sinister, really cynical. Bye. Todd, your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, but I was just thinking earlier as Steve was talking about, uh, uh desantis you know I, like i don't know what the state of the the voting issues are in florida as it pertains to this but th- and i i'm the guy who said don't you dare run for president overtly just be governor but a, a, as one thing you absolutely need to be doing as governor for your own state but that will be an unmistakable signal that you're planting a flag nationally as you need to just m- button up and make it abundantly clear that the way you vote in Florida is the way it must be carried out nationally. So DeSantis can't let that happen. What you're talking about. I absolutely appreciate your cynicism, but I'll sell because of this DeSantis principle. Up next, we will go to Goner Kant, who says DeSantis will be the darling of voters as Cruz was in 2015-16. Thus, old guard GOP will find a way to block him. Uh, I will sell. Um, There is no old guard blockage anymore uh, from a presidential standpoint. Uh, Cruz and Trump destroyed that in 2016. Uh, The fact that it's pretty obvious Nikki Haley is the professional class of, of the Republican Party's candidate is, indi- is further indictment of that. Um, Nikki Haley, in my opinion, what I know of her is, is not, is not the, the, the transformative leader I think we need given the spirit of the age we're up against. She's not Jeb Bush though either. She's not Mitt Romney or she's she's not John McCain either, meaning in another era, we would have looked at her the way we looked at George W. Bush in 2000, maybe. Yeah, we could do more conservative, but she's pretty good for, you know, what can is is, is of mainstream acceptance. Yeah, that's good. Way yeah, right now, we're not in, we, right now. We can't afford to consider mainstream acceptance because the mainstream is in Beijing. OK, so we need transformative leaders. That's why it's not a time for a Nikki Haley type. But the fact that they are glomming on to someone like her indicates is indicative of the fact that they understand the pure, unadulterated, soulless technocrat candidate has no shot anymore. So they don't really control those kinds of levers. Fox News is decentralized as a power platform without Roger Ailes in charge. Um. And it has several different shows now that don't even carry some of the same narrative on a given night. You know, they have like several independent states 
uh, rather than just one channel with a singular narrative, like what Roger Ailes had them do for Mitt Romney during the 2012 GOP primary, for example. So that doesn't exist. Um, they just don't have the the grip on the and the system that they had before to pull something like that off. And you just saw that play out in 2016. The fact that the two candidates the system wanted the least were the last two standing who got it wasn't even close by far lapped the rest of the field and voters and delegates. I, I, I think that genie's not getting put back in the bottle. Yeah. You see how many states now do we have um, efforts in the state legislators by Republicans to censure <laughs> the likes of Cheney and it's happening in multiple states. Yeah. You, you can't do it. You, you will have, if you want to do that, you can't just like box them out. You, you're going to have to try to destroy them. Uh, reputationally it, it's going to be dark and terrible as the dawn but that's the only way next up charlie west says the ufos are not aliens from another planet they're what's left of the nephilim now the nephilim were the, the i think the giant men mentioned in uh in genesis which are yeah the but they're beings. the products of the of, of angels and of, women of, yeah. of, de- of demons and women yeah. right demons and, yes yeah, fallen, okay. angels. Right, fallen angels fallen and angels women. And women. okay um, I think that's plausible. I, I think I, I think that's I think that's every bit as plausible as there's um, extraterrestrial life. I think that's every bit as plausible. So last night we were um, Amy and I started watching the, this Netflix documentary about the Cecil Hotel in LA that everybody's talking about. It's really good, actually, and we just, and then it, we just watched it too late, and we both got tired. And then I fell, I sh- we both fell asleep. I woke back up. I didn't want to watch it without her, so I jump on YouTube and I'm gonna look for some old college basketball games, maybe to watch or something until I get tired again. And somebody had, was, uh, I saw a video where someone was doing a recollection of 2010, the year we make contact, which I think is the most underrated science fiction film ever. It's the sequel to 2001. And it kind of explains a lot of the stuff that, because Stanley Kubrick didn't like explaining things, just like asking myriads of questions that didn't get answers, okay? But 2010 is made by a different crew, and it was written explicitly to explain some of what was actually going on in 2001. And Roy Scheider and stuff is in it, and so I'm watching this video for 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the old Arthur C. Clarke books when I read them when I was a kid, so I jumped online reading some summaries about the whole series, and the whole thing despite the fact it's all based in an evolutionary worldview, like the opening scene of 2001, right? Where the apes are prompted on uh, to create tools for killing and feeding and things of that nature. That's the first sign of intelligent life on Earth. Still, for Clark, it, random acts of evolution wasn't good enough. He needed meaning in his worldview. And so his God or creator were... Uh, essentially intergalactic engineers that went around planting life on planets that that were considered uh, uncivilized and then determining which life had evolutionary hope and which life did not. In other words, a judgment. Meaning there was no way around. And the, the, our need and desire for, for this level of existential meaning, even in Arthur C. Clarke's evolutionary science-based worldview, he could not satisfy the God-shaped hole in his heart. He had to come up with a with a with an alternative and that could be a lot of what's going on with a lot of this other it, with with aliens and everything else 
I think there's a myriad of explanations to it. What I don't think is an explanation, though, is that it's nothing. It may not be the something that is extraordinary. It may be as simple as just a lot of militaries wanted to hide the fact other rival countries had technology they hadn't come up with yet. And they were trying to pilfer it from them. And they lied about what the origin of that technology was. Who knows? But the idea that this is all nothing, I, I don't think that's believable either. I think the debate is, what is the something? Sure. I'll buy crazy voices in the head. I'll go with it. Up next, Mary Ellen Gabia says, uh, the Detroit Tigers will finish the season with 71 wins or better and climb out of the division cellar. So. I trust him. I have not looked deep enough into what they've got coming up. What are they going with, like a 40 or $50 million payroll, I think it is this uh, year? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, so. The Knights Who Say Neat say, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League movie will change enough minds about Ben Affleck as Batman that he'll get at least, uh, or at least be considered for a reprisal in the future. I'm going to buy that that's going to happen, but I don't agree with your premise. Yeah. Because actually... People overwhelmingly liked Affleck as Batman. Yeah. They hated the announcement and then they saw it and they were like, wow, this is better than what we thought. There was great excitement about what about him because he is a phenomenal director. We're talking about an Academy Award nominated director. There was great excitement for him to, to, to then adapt this into his own franchise, all kinds of anticipation. And there was disappointment when it did not occur. So I actually think there's much higher regard for Affleck as Batman than uh, than than is acknowledged. So I, I don't I don't think there's really a need to rekindle a des- a desire yeah. for him. I think people are disappoint we're disappointed to see it go. Yeah. And overall I know Steve at least disagrees in terms of the the flash, but overall I don't think the the casting or the acting isn't even remotely the problem with this thing. I mean these guys are I mean Gal Gadot, I mean brilliant. I can't even imagine a single other human being cast him. She's, she is Wonder Woman. Uh, I mean, they've nailed it in that respect. They just haven't had the story yet. Moving on to Tim, who says the U.S. dollar will suffer at minimum a partial collapse in the next decade. Sell. You guys know my opinions on this. I don't believe in the natural... I, I, um, I, I don't believe in normal business cycles any longer i think this entire thing is imaginative i think this entire thing is artificially inseminated i think the entire thing is i think it's a fake economy i think it's all fake and it's largely propped up because um we have the we have two things no one can match the most powerful military therefore there's no enemy to call a note as i pointed out before when debtor countries have collapsed, it's because the country you were indebted to, King so-and-so is outside the city gate here to collect now. Who's going to do that? No one, at least not right now or the, for the foreseeable future. The other issue, too, is even if someone could match us militarily and at the rate we're effeminizing ourselves, mm-hmm. we may eventually let the Chinese get there. OK, the other problem that we have that they have, though, is we still are going to be able to buy more of their goods than their own people can afford. So we're the number one market of consumer market in the world and we're the number one military in the world. 
Those are those are our versions of an Atlantic and Pacific Ocean to protect ourselves from invasion. That's our in, those are those are the things that we have done to convince ourselves that we could create this fake style of an economy. So I don't I, I get into arguments about this with people that have made a hell of a lot more money than me that are friends of mine. One of them is going to probably text me here in a few minutes. Tell me I'm wrong. OK, but it's the same thing with me and debating covid. I don't believe I'm debating science. If we were if we were looking at objective data on the pathology of covid-19, I would have no standing in that conversation whatsoever. Except I think we gave up debating legitimate science and data where COVID-19 became concerned sometime around March 11th of last year. And it's just been all politics ever since. Well, that's my wheelhouse. I'm totally fine debating that. We can call COVID global warming, call it the debt, call it whatever you want. $15 an hour minimum wage. They're all the same arguments from all the same people. So I've had all those arguments before. I know where that goes. And I think that's the same thing that goes on with these economic arguments. So I'm going to sell. I'm going to buy under the devil's advocate clause because under the normal as we had come to know know it pre-2020 and we had discussed this before 2020 he's right uh, but I, I based on what steve said about our military uh the chinese are clearly at war with us uh on some uh level this 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 virus even if it was an accident from a bat the way it was manipulated it was manipulated uh to hurt uh other nations they they are not our friend and when and if that normal is no longer in the goods and services steve talks about again an important pre-2020 normal if that carries the day steve will continue to be right but when the chinese decide it isn't then we have a new normal that will collapse the dollar because it will be to the chinese advantage what what that's i agree with that so i agree that that is the antidote to what i am saying so then but what what would the chinese have to do in order to get to that place because they're leveraged here too all right. It's not just that we're leveraged to them, but they're leveraged to us because it's while they have we're in debt to them. We consume their goods. Mm-hmm. They are going to have to you're going to need to see them expand globally. And it's not just strategically. There aren't enough consumers in, in Iran, Syria, to all those places combined, that- Saudi Arabia to replace us. But that's what they would have to do. They would have to, they'd have to open up markets elsewhere. Now, see, for, see what happened with World War II? Consumers and markets are the, the buzzwords I'm told. When and if the decision is made that those aren't paradigms that are cared about anymore, and that's, I think you'll acknowledge from a worldview perspective, that's more than possible. That it is possible, but remember, they already made the worldview calculation that markets do matter. That's why they're not the Soviet Union. That's why they have a consumer-based communism. You're right. So what would, so that's why. But it's I, intention that, with. But, but that's where I was going to go. What, what made Imperial Japan attack Pearl Harbor? We put them from their perspective and an economically 
untenable position with an oil embargo. Correct. All right. That's that's that was their narrative. Now we would have a different narrative. Our narrative would be, well, um, don't try to conquer China and enslave and slaughter a whole bunch of people, which forced us to do that. That would be you know that would be like the U.S. version of the story. But their version of the story is that your oil embargo put us in a position where we we could not survive, and the 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 previous agreement that we had was no longer salvageable. If their own markets collapsed domestically, then, in my view, similar to what happened with Japan, where its its markets internally began to collapse for a lack of oil. If their markets internally, I should say, not domestically, if their internal markets collapsed, that's when the war machine comes in. That's when, hey, we're not making the kind of money here that we thought we were going to make. But short of that, in the first, for the foreseeable future, I don't see what their incentive is. They've got more to lose than we do. We have freer markets still than they do. But by, by, by the way, can I re- reiterate whenever I bring this up? I'm not in favor of this. So you can save me the 75 page Ron Paul citations <laughs> and all the Milton Friedman lectures. I'm not in favor of this. I, I have I'm not empowered to do anything about it. It is what it is. Alrighty, moving on to Riza Sheik, who says the fact that 98% of the cast and crew of genre entertainment, Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, etc., don't share your worldview and want you off the air diminishes your enjoyment of it. Uh, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself. Sell. Because A, I, I don't know how many of these people even believe the stuff they say but are just told that they have to say these things because that's the pressure expectation of the arena they're in. But B, um, I'm totally fine make drawing distinctions with people, which is, hey, I, I think what you believe is a scam in this area, but I love the way you use your God-given talents in these areas. So... That doesn't, well, there are specific instances where things go too far. Yeah, where it gets to that point. But as a general rule for me, sell. Yeah, generally speaking, uh, I sell for the, look at Chris Evans and Captain America. Just a, Chris Evans regularly vomits out just silly nonsense but that guy owns captain america and he knows that he that's i I actually in the opposite way i actually take a nice uh, level of satisfaction knowing that he knows the only way he can make that character work and be as beloved as it is is to not be himself it's fantastic it's a self-own yeah i would say generally speaking as well um if your political opponents uh, are making uh, are are telling your stories or themes from your stories, mm-hmm. uh, that's like that's uh, a good plan, point too. Yeah. Planned Parenthood sponsoring segments of the Steve Day Show. Thank Which you. Which happened for many parting? Years ago. Yeah, yeah, for parting with your hard-earned dollars to support a message that goes against you. It's kind of the flip side of that coin. Up next, uh, one more. Uh, Goodfellow49 says, if Trump is able to start a viable third party to challenge and eventually kill the establishment GOP, it would be greater than any accomplishment he had as president. Uh, if he could do that, I would agree. First of all, it'd be one of the greatest political accomplishments in American history because we haven't had a, a viable 
third party in this country since before the Civil War. So, uh, yeah. But I would I would even take it a step down. I mean, I, I, even if even if he just became a proxy for the uh, the pruning of a layer, because see, you don't have to, you don't have to take out every one of these GOP hacks. You just need to make examples of the right ones. And then the rest of them will just fall into line out of fear. You know, Fonzie used to threaten you to t- uh, take a trip to the men's room every episode. But really, I think only one time did we ever actually see him have to take somebody in there. Because once an example was made, everybody else eventually knew not to call the bluff. So if, even if you got Trump to just make an example out of the right amount of these people, particularly McConnell, like John Cornyn, John Thune, the 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 people that are the underlings to McConnell, they're not either as savvy or savage as him. They don't really have someone that could step into his shoes the next day and wield that amount of power and respect. The rest of them are are frankly dweebs. Um guys that you can't believe actually were able to impregnate their wives. So you just make an example of the right ones. And then everybody else kind of has a tendency to fall in the line at that point. But you got to, if, even if he just did that, that'd be greater than any accomplishment of his presidency. Yep. Bye. We'll come back. The weekly prophet of woe and lamentation himself. Daniel Horowitz will be joining us right here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. He is mobilizing activists across the country. He's going to tell us about that effort and see if any of you in our audience want to get involved in that. Next. So are you prepared if there's a sudden food shortage? If, hey, I've done this before. If I would have come on here at this time last year and told you, hey, in a couple weeks, you won't be able to go to a store and get any toilet paper for like weeks on end. You told me I was nuts. Correct. What if I came on here last week and said, hey, next week, millions of people in the state of Texas won't be able to have power. Also probably nuts. Uh, Thousands of people in Nashville, Tennessee won't be able to leave their homes. Won't be safe to travel. Weird. Weird. Is all that happening right now in real time? That's why you want to be prepared with our friends over at My Patriot Supply because you never know when that could never happen. Happens again. It's a four-week supply of emergency food for 20% off, 2,000 calories a day. So we're not just talking about ramen noodles here. This is actually what you need to survive, uh, but also to thrive in an emergency situation as well. And the food stays fresh for up to 25 years. So get that peace of mind. They'll even de- deliver it discreetly in as little as two days. They won't show up in a you know, technicolored van that says Doom Prepper on the side so with, a, with an air horn so that all of your neighbors are like, who what nut job is buying this stuff? You can even keep it on the down low if you want to do that. All right. Go to my pay or go to preparewithdace.com for my Patriot Supply. Preparewithdace.com is the website they've set up just for our listeners and viewers. Right now, get 20% off with Prepare with Dace. D-E-A-C-E. Preparewithdace.com. Let's get to the weekly profit of woe and lamentation. Our good friend Daniel Horowitz. Good to have you back, brother. How are you? Great to be with you, Steve. Never a dull moment. It never is. So um, before we get to all the other things I wanted to talk to you about, I I just want to give you a moment if you want to address the passing 
of Rush Limbaugh. We, uh, I, I chatted with uh, my friend, his brother, yesterday. I, I had an inkling things weren't going well. I didn't know that it was maybe going to be this sudden. But uh, his passing away earlier this morning at the age of 70 and an unmatched legacy. I mean, none of us, none of us have any of our jobs in whatever this industry and movement is today. None of us have any of our jobs without his success. You know, Steve, I was recording my show when it happened and I couldn't concentrate. I had a guest on and I was just, yeah, it really took took me by surprise. It seems like the Lord always calls people back often when people aren't expecting. It. I thought he was getting a little better and was hoping at least we could hear from him another few months. I, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is that he came at a pivotal time when there was a vacuum, it was right after Reagan. It was during H.W. Bush where he came to prominence and then really very much to prominence during the Clinton presidency when we needed a voice. We needed someone to speak for us. And I always remember it. I, I would I would I mean, I, this is the type of nerd I was uh, as a kid. Whenever we would have a school day off, you know, a snow day in, in the winter and certainly all summer long, I'd wait till noon Eastern time on my local station. I'd sit back there and it was just I love the Paul Shanklin parodies and mm-hmm. uh, and just giving us voice that we didn't have anywhere. And what he was was really a new frontier. It was looking outside the system at the time how do how do we create an alternative universe he was really the first major alternative to the dissemination of information that we heard that the left had a monopoly on and i think coming full circle over 30 years later our challenge is going to be how to recreate his legacy in the late 80s early 90s at the time we live in how do we create our own parallel universe, our own new alternative to what the political class is putting out? That is the challenge of our time to walk in his footsteps. When I took over Afternoon Drive right after Rush on WHO Radio in Des Moines, what I, what I wanted to see is if we could take the, the air war that he had launched but then mobilize it into a, in, in, into a ground force. And could we mobilize people directly into campaigns and things of that nature? And we had tremendous success doing that uh, in the state of Iowa. And it helped create a lot of the atmosphere that you're watching play out today in COVID. Where it's funny, a lot of, I, I hear from several of my old WHO listeners that are very frustrated with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. But if you stack her up against the other 49 governors in America, man... All right. She's Amelia friggin Earhart. All right. By comparison. And, and, and a lot of that is because of the, the organizational strength that we built in this state, which is let's what do we do with with these ideas, with the success he's having in reaching new listeners and converts? <coughs> pardon me. Where do we where do we mobilize them to listening on your podcast the last couple of days while you were gone? You're working on doing this now uh, from an interconnectivity standpoint all over the country. Tell us about this. Sure. I, I had a novel idea, and I think we could all do this. Speaking of radio hosts and podcasts and listenerships, audiences, why not take an audience and make an organization out of it? And when I say organization, I don't mean the way we typically think of it in D.C. with you know tens of millions of dollars and, and money and infrastructure. But to literally everyone has been emailing me for years. What do I do? What do I do? 
And what I'm seeing now is Republicans control 31 legislatures. You mentioned Iowa. That's a classic example. If you only had I'll take 10 states where we actually had Republican supermajorities and governors and everything, and we do half of what's right with it. We focus on what's going on in these legislative sessions. We focus on the county commissioners, on the sheriffs, on the school boards. We would have a place to live. Everything that's going on in D.C. would be irrelevant. What is going on right now in state legislatures that I'm trying to keep on top of, I'm monitoring about 10 of them, will determine civilization forever. It's whether we will live free or whether we're going to go along with the COVID fascism forever. That is being debated every day. Every day, there's a contingent of good guys that are pushing good things. There's the leadership that plays bait and switch to confuse people. The Mitt Romneys of each legislature, legislature confusing people. What do we do as a people? I don't want to hear about Pelosi. Oh, there's nothing we can do. Oh, the Democrats, Schumer, Biden. What about in your state where you have a three, four to one majority in that in the in the state legislature? What are you doing? So what I'm doing is through Constitution Action Network. That's what I'm calling it. I'm just a network, a matchmaker. I'm matching together my audience and anyone else they know to sign up based on their state, preferably in those 31 states. If you're in Vermont, join the New Hampshire Liberty Strike Force team. We're creating these strike force teams where they are going to bang away at all the chicanery that the GOP leadership does. Name names. Send the firefighters and the water to where the fire is. You know, a lot of these organizations are created for specific Single issues, two issues. Well, what if the fight is on you're no longer allowed to breathe free air? Right. We never envisioned that a year ago. It will be to go where the fight is, see the opportunities, the five to ten most important things we need to do on COVID fascism, crime, big tech, pushing back, nullifying Biden's executive orders, things like that. Naming names, the right people, the right place, the right time to push this stuff, strategize together do media together, write, meet with your congressman, um, obviously pressure the, those that aren't going along, and concurrently recruiting people to run for state legislature and primaries, school board and primaries. And that double pressure, I want to show how strike teams of 15 to 20 people in, in a state or you have big states where you'll have multiple groups divided up, you can do so much. Again, taking that air war you mentioned that Rush Limbaugh created – to the ground i am just not happy to do entertainment or commentary alone i feel we need to take this to the next level and 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 you know steve one of the things i sense from rush in the final shows of his life is that you know we've had this period of the soap opera and distractions for a number of years and in his final months he kind of moved back to the fundamentals where he said, this is like 1776, he recognized we need a revolution. Clearly what we're doing is not working. And to me, what I am trying to create is, a, is an American revolution, which is where you had state legislatures created creating committees of correspondence, cross-connectivity, sheriffs working together is another project I have, Con constitutional sanctuaries. Another one I wanna get the 10 or so Freedom Caucus type of guys in each legislature together to push similar ideas, do media, have a grassroots to light a fire under it. And again, shame those that 
aren't going along with it. They're not even forced to answer tough questions. Steve, because nobody's even focused on this. They are they are robbing us in broad daylight. I just put out an article, if you want to see why I'm doing this, on West Virginia. Okay? They have three to one, three and a half to one majority in the House, two to one majority in the Senate. It is may as well be San Francisco. They have worse COVID fascism than my state of Maryland. I mean, you have the governor out there talking about masks are so amazing. You don't have a right to breathe because you're harming other people. This is in West Virginia. So I don't want to hear about how we need to take a 50-50 Senate, which is really 95-5 liberal, and win it back or the House when I'll show you three to one GOP trifectas that are doing the same thing because we're asleep at the wheel. All right. So along those lines, yesterday, the statement that Trump put out there going after McConnell, laying the gauntlet down. If that's only political porn, I want you to know that's the hottest political porn I've ever been exposed to. Okay. That reads like a press release. If if Steve Dace and Daniel Horowitz got together and Donald Trump said, here's a fifth of scotch. Take a few swigs, write me a press release. I'll sign anything you wanted to say. It would read an awful lot like that press release that he put out yesterday. I see the smile on your face. You're trying to hide it, but I Look, see it, it wants it, to come out. I know it wants it, to come out. Steve, it's roughly seven years to the day that I wrote the famous Storming the Castle essay in, uh, endorsing a candidate against Mitch McConnell in the primary. I was the first person to cast that stone, um, and it was awfully lonely. So it feels very validating to have the most popular person among registered Republican voters uh, you know, finally pushing those sentiments. Look, Here's why I believe we need a a new party and the Republican Party is broken because it's impossible to win primaries. And to the extent we do it, we'll win one House race, zero governorships and zero senatorships per cycle. And and it's just you're not getting anywhere to the extent there's what to do in the Republican Party. Trump is the only answer. It's up to him. If he wants to be even more powerful than he was as president, that lane is wide open. He could, I worked it out, he could flip about 12 governorships in red states that will be even redder in a midterm with Biden in power because of the blowback. You know, they always do better in the midterms when Dems are in power. States like like Alabama, where you have KIV, just total mask Nazi, Brad Chicken Little in Idaho, all these people. Um, governors, senators too. Republicans have a massive map of deep red state rhinos up for re-election. If this man would telegraph the message that he will endorse against the lockdown Nazis, the Romney Republicans, and it's not just Romney, it's almost all of them, he could remake make the party in one election cycle, but he's got to be focused. It can't just be personal. It's got to be on the issue on the issues he can't make the same mistake recruiting um, or endorsing the wrong candidates and one other thing steve trump is like a gun in the hand of a woman fighting a man it's the great equalizer you know the problem we have is that our candidates can never raise money they don't have the name id and then a lot of people question the quality of primary challengers well if you are let's say an up-and-coming conservative house member so you're not a nobody Are you going to run in a primary 
against a sitting Republican senator or governor? No, you'll wait for an open seat. Why would you do a picket's charge? If Trump were to make it clear he would have their back and come in and hold rallies for them, you'll be able to recruit your, you know, and just pick Ohio with Mike DeWine and these rhinos, your Warren Davidsons and your Jim Jordans of the world to actually run. And and nine out of 10 times they'll win. Good to have you back, brother. Take care. Thank you for the time, as always. God bless. Same. Brought to you by realestateagentsitrust.com. If you are getting into the real estate market during these unprecedented times, Bing. got it in. Make sure you're going in with an agent that you can trust. Now, where would you find this person? Because chances are, whether it's Berkshire Hathaway, Century 21, or your state has a, a version of what we have, which is Iowa Realty, which is native to just your community. Whichever the big centralized place or places are that you go to to look for agents, they're not just going to like rank them in order of effectiveness for you. They're, they're not going to just put in the bio, this one's lazy. They're not going to do that. All right. So how do you know? Well, thankfully, you the name kind of says it all. Realestateagentsitrust.com started by Glenn Beck and some of his associates who got tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the promised results when needed the most. So they didn't want you to suffer the same fate as them. That's why they created Realestateagentsitrust.com. Find an agent almost anywhere in the country whose track record of success has been fully vetted at realestateagentsitrust.com. Thoughts on the conversation we just had with Daniel Horwitz. Uh, I'm incredibly excited about what Daniel said about the strike force notion. I think it's vital. It's essential. It's what's been going on in my head for two years on some level on how to make this thing called conservative conservatism efficacious. Once again, it's the kind of thing, Steve, that you, when you were on here in Iowa, but on a local station, you were great at the local level from school boards uh, to uh, state uh, state house politics, influencing the presidential races from that. And but the one thing when you go national, it, it's made it either difficult or somehow for everybody, somehow it's just not part of the game anymore to be as local and i think that's the the thing that everybody in our industry has got to figure out how to make it relevant quickly mm -hmm. what we do right in the grassroots empowers them and me they're asking what do we do what do we do we got to connect those dots quickly so that people feel it quickly i gotta tell you too from my own experience particularly with state legislatures because of what you mentioned <clears throat> the, it, the power of just 10 to 20 of you being united yep. and pestering a state legislator or legislators has enormous influence, what he's trying to do. What do you think, Aaron? The left does this incredibly mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. um, partly because they have the resources, monetary and otherwise, to do it well. It's just, it seems like on the right, what's missing is the will. So that's the first thing. Resources will will follow that. So I, I applaud that. We're going to stick around. Julie Kelly from American Greatness is going to join us in the overtime at blazetv.com slash days. You don't want to miss that later today. Until tomorrow, right after Glenn Beck here, noon to 2 Eastern on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast, Steve Dace. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.